tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Proverbs. So if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, and that's found on page uh, 528. And this is the, the second sermon that I'm doing uh, in Proverbs, and, and my intention was to go through Proverbs because they're, they're, they're quick little one or two verse uh, statements that we can relative, go through relatively quickly. So that's the reason why. And also, since we've been in, in the New Testament in, for over a year, going through 1 Corinthians, I figured it was good to go through a wisdom book. And, and the book of Proverbs, just the way it's set up, because it, it jumps around from different topics and repeats themes, it really lends itself more to what we're doing now than the verse-by-verse verse that I do in the morning, because it would be very repetitive and it would be disjointed and it would probably last for uh, 10 years if I was going through it the way that I go through in the, uh, in the morning. So Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it for as for hidden treasures... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do seek you. We do want your wisdom. Father, we want to know you. We want to understand you. We want knowledge of you. And Father, I pray that you will anoint my feeble words. And Lord, that we will have an encounter with you. And Lord, that you will use this time to grow each and every one of us that we will know you more, that we will love you more, that we will see you, that we will be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, I, I'm a fan of Rocky movies. Anyone here a fan of Rocky movies? Anyone? No one here. Uh, We've got, we got a couple of fans of, of Rocky movies. Good. Well, my favorite, there's, there's like six or seven or eight, I don't know how many there are now, but my favorite Rocky movie is Rocky III. And for those of you not familiar with the, with the Rocky franchise, let me just give you a brief summary. Now, this will include some spoilers, but Rocky is franchise is now about 50 years old. So if you haven't seen the movies by now, I figured I don't really care if I'm going to spoil some of it with you. Well, the original Rocky movie came out in, in 1976, and it's about this boxer, Rocky Balboa. And he's a down-and-out boxer. He's living in Philadelphia, and he's about 30 years old. And that's, for most of us, that seems pretty young. But for boxers, 30 years old is, is pretty old. As a matter of fact, my, my brother has, has taken up boxing. He doesn't, he doesn't go in the ring because he's way too old. But he said one of the guys who's at the gym that he was training with was, was lamenting about how old he was and that how far behind he was, and he was 19. So if he was 19, he wasn't where he thought he should be. So... Uh, 30 is, is ancient for boxing. Now, Rocky's not very bright. He's, he's not really good at anything, but Rocky has heart. And in celebration of the nation's bicentennial, 1976, the heavyweight champ of the world, a guy named Apollo Creed, and he is, he, he's a, very much a marketing guy. He's a flashy guy. And he does a, a publicity stunt. He wants to select this unknown boxer, this Rocky Balboa, and he, he, he's He's immediately drawn by his name. His name is the Italian Stallion. So he wants to go against the Italian Stallion. He's going to give him a, a shot at the championship. Now, Apollo doesn't take it seriously. Really, no one takes this serious. It's, it's just a show. No one in the world, including Rocky, thinks that Rocky even has a chance at this. He's a down-and-out fighter over the hill, going to go against the heavyweight champ of the world. 
and they, they, they suspect what the, the, the champion's going to make a show of it. He's going he's to carry Rocky for a couple of rounds, and then whatever he wants, he's going to put Rocky out of his misery and just take him out. But for Rocky, for Rocky, this is the chance for him, as he says, to prove he's not a bum. He's going to prove he's not a bum. So what Rocky does, and, and basically what he does is Rocky wants to prove that he has some worth in his life because he's failed at everything in his life. So Rocky trains harder than ever. And, I, and, and the most famous part of the Rocky movies is these workout scenes. If you've never seen anything, you've seen these workout scenes, and they're so inspiring, the training scenes where he's doing one-handed push-ups and, and running up the stairs and, and, and all this stuff. So he gives this training, this fight, all he has. And it's because, this becomes the most important thing in the world to him. And he sacrifices everything for the training because this is his one and only shot, and he knows it. And Rocky, again, has no hope at all of winning. All he wants to do is to, to do well enough against the champion to prove that he's not a bum. So, so the night of the fight comes, and there's this huge media circus. Apollo comes up dressed in this gigantic hat like, like uh, um, Uncle Sam. He's got red, white, and blue shorts on. And he's going pointing to Rocky. I want you. I want you. And you know, it's, it's, it's all a show. So it's a media circus. And then something unexpected happens during the fight. Rocky actually shows up to fight. And Rocky shows a tenacity that, that Apollo really didn't expect. Now, Apollo's clearly the better fighter. He, he hits Rocky about ten times for every lucky shot that Rocky actually gets to Apollo. But no matter how hard and how many times Apollo hits Rocky, Rocky still comes back for more. And Apollo is exhausted, really exhausted for all the times he's beating on Rocky. But Rocky, again, has nothing to lose. He doesn't care even if he's killed in this fight. He has nothing to lose. He, his only goal is to prove that he's not a bum, to, to have heart and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a champ. So Rocky goes the entire 15 rounds with the champ, and everyone is completely stunned. Nobody, especially Apollo, expected Rocky to make it anywhere near this far. And not only is it clear that Apollo is unable to knock out Rocky, there's actually even a chance that the champ would lose this fight. So the, the fight ends with Apollo narrowly winning. Neither one of them gets knocked out. They, they end the fight, and Apollo narrowly wins a split decision, which, of course, sets up the sequel, which is Rocky II, where they have the rematch. And here, Rocky, again, fights just as hard. He's a man who has nothing to lose. He wants to make sure he wasn't, shows him that he wasn't a fluke. Again, people still think he's a bum. He got lucky. Apollo didn't take him seriously. So, again, he has one of the amazing workout scenes. That's where, again, where he's doing the one-handed push-ups and running up to the top of the stairs and, you know, arms. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It just gets you, gets you pumped up. And at the end of Rocky II, again, it hits the, the 15th round. They've been fighting. Uh, Rocky and Apollo, they're, they're in this battle. And there's just a few seconds left in the fight. And then Rocky and Apollo, they both hit each other at the same time. And they both go down. And the, the refs, they're counting, each one of them. One, two. Three, four, and both men are struggling, clawing at the ropes, trying to get up. Then finally, with just two seconds left, at the count of eight, Rocky stands up and Apollo falls to the mat. And Rocky now is the new heavyweight champion of the world. What, I mean, what a great, I mean, it was, it was probably the best ending of all the, the Rocky movies. Amazing fight. Now, this is just all background. This is background, again, for my favorite movie, which is Rocky III. Now, Rocky III, <laughs> Nathan's like, when are you going to get to the scripture? We'll get there, we'll get there, don't worry. You'd be happy that I didn't ask you to play Eye of the Tiger for our closing <laughs> song. That's all I can say. I figured that probably didn't uh, fit into the regulative principle too well. But Rocky now, in Rocky III, he's the new champ. And he defends his, he, he defends his, his title. Uh, he's on top of the world. And, and, and 
Rocky now has, has gotten married. He's got has a child. He's uh, living in a big mansion. They have cars and servants. And, and Rocky is a fan favorite. He's going on, on television shows, talk shows, and he's learned how to speak well. He goes on the Muppet Show. He, he wrestles against Hulk Hogan at a charity event. Everything is going well. But what happened to Rocky, and this is the way his, his manager put it, he says the, the worst thing that could happen to a, a boxer happened to Rocky. He got civilized. He got civilized. He lost the eye of the tiger. So he had other things that were more important to him now than boxing. And he no longer fought as a man with a single purpose. He, he, he no longer fought as a man who had nothing to lose. And boxing was the only thing. And then he meets Clubber Lang. Remember Clubber Lang? This was, this was Mr. T, exactly. This is Mr. Lee's, Mr. T's tagline. I pity the fool. That was from there. Because you hate Balboa. I don't hate Balboa. I pity the fool. And I love the way he said that. And, and, and Clubber Lang, he has the eye of the tiger. He has the eye of the tiger. He's not distracted. He says, I live alone. I train alone. I win the title alone. And Clubber Lang demolished Rocky. He went in there. It was not even close. He pulverized Rocky winning the title. Now, of course, it's a Rocky movie. Rocky has to have a co- comeback. And then Apollo comes out of the, the former champ that he comes. Apollo comes and he takes uh, Rocky. He says, I know what happened. The same thing that happened to me. You lost the eye of the tiger. You got distracted. So Apollo takes him to the, to the slums of L.A. And they start training. In this, and and you know, he's away from the mansions, away from the crowds, away from his family. And he starts doing, again, these great workout scenes. And he regains this single-minded focus. And he goes in and he beats Clubber Lang in the rematch. So probably you wonder, what does this have to do with Proverbs, right? What does Rocky have to do with Proverbs? Well, I, again, it's not that I want to use the eye of the tiger as the, as, the, as the closing song, but there is a kind of eye of the tiger that as Christians we need to have. We need in the Christian life. And I think the author of Proverbs shows us what must be our priority if we want to live a godly life, if we want to live the Christian life. And the number one goal, according to Proverbs here, is to gain wisdom. We need to understand wisdom is really a stand-in for Christ. Wisdom in the Proverbs is Christ. We need to seek Christ. We need to earnestly desire Christ, earnestly desire wisdom. And it's not talking about worldly wisdom. This is not the word we seek. It's talking about true wisdom. It's talking about godly wisdom. It's talking about the wisdom that comes only from God, comes from knowing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the person who seeks wisdom, as described in Proverbs, this is a person who is really seeking God and for himself. So this needs to be our single-minded focus. We need to focus everything we do on seeking God, knowing God, knowing that wisdom. And the goal of our lives, as seen in Proverbs, as well as all of Scripture, is to make God our single-minded focus. We must surrender everything, every other pursuit in life, to knowing him. We must give up every competing desire, whatever it is, it fame, fortune, comfort, ease, everything, even our very lives, for the sake of his glory. God must be our eye of the tiger. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage verse by verse, and we're going to see what it looks like practically. What, it, what does it mean to earnestly seek wisdom, to earnestly seek God, earnestly seek Christ? So verse 1, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, within you. Now, do we, can we honestly say that we treasure up God's commandments? God's commandments that are found in his word, like we read this evening, even Numbers chapter 5. Do we treasure up those commandments found in God's word? Is our Bibles, is this our most treasured, treasured possession? 
I mean, do you realize? Do we realize what each one of us are holding in our hand right now? This is the very word of the living God. This is a message written to us from God. This is a supernatural book. Do we recognize this? And I think it's it, it's interesting. The most important things that we have in life are free. That is that is those things that are that are, are less important. Those are the things that are most expensive. I mean, think about it. you can get a fifty thousand dollar Rolex watch. You can get a $150,000 car, $500,000 car. I even saw in, in Manhattan, there was a, uh, an apartment up overlooking Central Park, $100 million. That was a nice apartment, but $100 million. Do we need a $50,000 watch or a $150,000 car or a $100 million apartment? Of course not. But what about air? Think about air. No one spends anything for air. But if you didn't have air, right Immediately, you trade in everything you had if you, had, if you were facing air. If right now somehow people took air out of this room, whatever we had, it didn't matter. You could have my watch, you could have my car, you could have my house. If you don't have air, none of those things are going to do you any good. Well, God's word is even more important than the air we breathe. And it's given to us freely. Freely, there's no charge. Right here, the Gideons. Right, Don? You guys give these things away? Anyone who wants them. Online, I've got multiple apps you can, you can read God's word. God's word is the most precious thing in the world, in the universe. God's word is given away freely. But do we recognize it? And what do we do with this free gift? Do we devour it? Do we recognize what it is? Do we spend every waking moment studying this? No, or do we ignore it? Completely ignore it. Completely ignorant that it is of infinite value. And sadly, this is the case for even Christians. Even Christians. We own a lot of Bibles, but we don't open them. Right? The best-selling book that's never read. And that's even Christians. But my friends, we are to treasure God's word. We are to treasure his word. We are to treasure his law. We are to treasure his wisdom. Let's look at verse 2. It says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. And what this means is that we are to proactively make our ears attentive. Proactively make our ears attentive. Proactively incline our hearts to understanding. And what this does, this takes effort. We can't just, we can't just learn by osmosis. A lot of times what, what I do when I'm taking a nap, I'll put something on. As a matter of fact, I took a nap this afternoon, and I listened to a sermon from my pastor in Blacksburg. I put it, it was a great sermon, but I only heard about five minutes of it because I was sound asleep. That really didn't do me any good to, to, to be sleeping through. I'm sure he, he would really be, uh, feel happy that I used his sermon to fall asleep. But uh, I would probably fall asleep even sooner if I listened to my own sermon. So, But... It doesn't do any good. It takes effort. It takes study. It doesn't happen by default. And we have to purposely, we have to consciously put ourselves in a place where we will hear wisdom. But even more than this, we need to incline our hearts to wisdom and incline our hearts to understanding. We need to want to understand. We, we must desire it. We must desire more than anything we have. We must want to know God. We must want to know his will more than we desire to take our next breath. Is that true? Do we really want to know what God wants us? Oftentimes, I don't think we do. I don't think we really want to understand. We don't want to submit to God's word. We don't want him to, we don't ask him to reveal to us his will. What we want to do is we want him to tell us what we want to hear. We want him to reinforce what we already think we know. We want him to come and, and, and validate our own agenda. We come not wanting him to, to know what his thoughts are, but we want him to confirm what we already believe. And we'll twist scripture to make it believe, to fit our understanding. And that happens all the time. Just that 
that numbers five that Nathan was talking about. People will say, twist that to make it believe fit what they want. They want it to be a, a, a apologetic for the Bible supporting abortion, so they twist it. And you see this all the time. We don't come to the Bible and say, what are you saying, Lord? We're saying, Lord, this is what I want. Let me see if I can twist it and, conv- and convict people with it to make it mean what I want it to mean. And, it's, and again, rather than come to God's word, we come with our own agenda. We twist it. We refuse to incline our hearts to understanding. Let's look at verse 3. It says, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. We are to call out. We are, we are to ask the Lord. Lord, give me understanding. And I do. I mean, I, when, I'm, when I'm studying to, to write a sermon, I'm like, Lord, give me understanding. I don't understand what this is. How am I going to explain this? And I am pleading with the Lord to give me the words. And this seems so simple, doesn't it? It seems so simple. All you need to, all you need to ask. But as Scripture tells us, we often don't have because we don't ask. And this proverb is urging us to ask, urging us to call out for insight, or urging us to raise our voices, urging us to beg the Lord for understanding. Again, when I'm reading scripture, when I'm studying for a sermon, I call to the Lord. I say, look, what does this passage mean? I cry, give me the words. I don't understand what it means. I don't understand how I can adequately uh, communicate this, the truth in this passage to the congregation. My friends, this is a... This is a, a, a a prayer the Lord will answer. I can tell you from personal experience, because every week I go through the same thing. Every week I look at a passage, I say, I have no idea. Lynn can tell you, I say, I have no idea what I'm going to write on this. On this, I don't have any idea. And I continue to go through, and the Lord somehow gives me something. And it, he will answer this prayer. It's all of him. Scripture tells us, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says, Ask, seek, knock. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? We simply need to ask. And ask, having wisdom, having understanding, having knowledge of God is simply as is, is simple as asking God for it. And he will answer this. Asking with a sincere heart. A sincere heart that's, that's ready to hear what God tells us. And, see, this, this is the key part. Not only to hear what he tells us, but ready to submit to the implications of what the Lord tells us. Again, so many times we do not ask because we do not want to hear the answer. Don't ask because I do not want to hear because I know what I will have to do if I hear that answer. But if we, if we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I don't care, whatever, whatever it is, I will do it. It'll be amazing how clear things get. It'll be amazing how, things clear, how, how clear things will get for us. See, the truth is we can claim to know God's will, but when we refuse to surrender to this, when we refuse, he, he's not going to continue to give us more light. He says, I gave you enough light. You're not going to answer that light. I'm not going to give you more light. It, it's amazing. He will not make that known. See, we constantly ask the the, the Lord to reveal his will to us, all the while ignoring what he already reveals. And again, we ignore it because we do not like it. So we keep asking, thinking that somehow somehow he he is silent when we just don't like what he's already said. Again, we have to look at our hearts. We have to say, all right, this is what you said. I'm going to do it. Verse 4. He says, if you seek it like silver... 
and search for it like hidden treasure. I mean, think about how much effort we put into getting silver, getting gold, getting money, seeking after money. We'll spend 40 hours a week, 40 plus hours a week working in order to earn a living. And many people will invest time and, and effort and energy managing their, their investments and their stock portfolios and all this. Look at all that effort that we put into making silver, making gold. My question is, do we seek God with that same effort? Do we seek after God with that same intensity? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 24, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, treasures do not simply apply to money. Treasures could be thought of as, as anything that we value. Anything that we can invest, it could include our money, but it also includes our, our time. It includes our affections. It includes our, our hopes, our efforts, our aspirations, our loves. And there, there, there are two realms. There, there is two kingdoms in which we can invest our treasures. We can invest in the kingdom of God, or we can invest in the kingdom of man. We lay up treasures on earth, or we can lay up treasures in heaven. And even as Christians, even as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there will be a temptation, a temptation to lay up treasures here on earth. A temptation to invest our money, to invest our time, to invest our talents, invest our hopes, our loves in the here and now, in the things that can be seen now. And both Proverbs and, and, and Jesus ex exhort us to resist this temptation. Jesus exhorts us not to lay up our treasures on earth, but rather to lay up our treasures in heaven. In other words, we are to invest our treasure. We are to invest our time, our money, our talents, etc. All these things in the work of God, in the kingdom of God. Labor up treasures on earth, which is really our natural tendency. This is really a bad investment. It's a bad investment because this world, this, this kingdom, the kingdom of man is temporary. And any treasures invested here will ultimately and finally be lost. And more than that, any hope found in this world, any meaning sought in this kingdom, the kingdom of men, will ultimately fail us. This world will ultimately disappoint us. So rather than seeking the treasure of this world, we are to seek after the wisdom of God and thus seek after God himself with the same intensity with, this every, with, with everything else as secondary. See, God is to be our primary focus. God is to be our eye of the tiger. And if we do this, what is the result? Look at verse 5. It says, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, if we diligently seek God, if we diligently seek his wisdom, seek his will, seek to understand him, seek to know him, if we do this, he will give us what we seek. He will give us himself. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to delight ourselves in you. Father, we seek after you. And Father, there are so many other competing temptations, things that we don't even realize, all these little shiny things around us that distract us from you. You offer us the, the, the eternal blessings. You, you are the fount of every blessing. But we turn away from that. We turn away from your word and we seek after those things that cannot satisfy. 
We, we reject the living water. We turn after the, the broken cisterns that cannot hold water, that cannot satisfy. Father, we repent of this, and Lord, we pray that you will change our hearts to, to seek after diligently the things of you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.